This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat show. And obviously a lot to talk about. Kirby Smart is named a starting quarterback. What does that mean? Some competition battles. Let's jump in really fast. On Eagles on the Beach show, we'll be joined by Chris Doring. Second half of the show, we'll get CD's take on the SEC and on the George Bulldogs. So let's start out with Kirby naming Carson Beck the starter. Why experience? Kirby said, you know what? When things go sideways, when a player on his own team doesn't do the right thing, when the defense throws something at him, Carson Beck is the guy who has all the repetitions and all the experience and is the best suited to handle it. And that experience has put him atop the depth chart and will keep him there, at least going into the opener. And Carson has waited his time. Let's be honest. This is a guy that's stuck around. We've written stories at Dog Nation. Carson talking about, hey, you know, yeah, there was a point I thought about transferring, but I stuck it out. Glad I did. And here he is now finally going to get his chance, finally going to get that start versus UT Martin. And the way I look at it is like, this is Carson's job to keep. As long as he plays well and executes and shows that leadership and shows that he can handle the moment when things go sideways. Now, how quick will they go sideways? Kind of hard to tell when you look at that schedule. I think on the road against Auburn will be the big test to me, the final test. I think it will be tested in South Carolina some, but I think on the road against Auburn will be, to me, the litmus test. Because Kirby said the number one most important thing is game action. We haven't seen it yet. Now, that is why Kirby said Vandergriff and Stockton are both going to get some reps with the ones the next couple weeks, and he didn't come right out and say it, but he's hinted that those guys are also going to play. Now, when are they going to play? What's the circumstance? When I asked that question at the press conference Saturday, Kirby said, we're not there yet. Haven't even gotten past first team. Don't know who the number two is, if there even is one. You just have two other capable guys that Kirby says he feels like Georgia can win games with. Now, let's move to running backs. Andrew Paul is gaining steam, and this is important. This is a guy who's now playing without a knee brace. He's one year out uh, from the ACL. He's come back fast. And why is Andrew Paul so important, the freshman? Because I think of the backs, he might be the most multidimensional outside of Kendall, who's had this sporadic hamstring. You don't know what you're going to get from Kendall Milton. Once you, he gets back, you hope Milton's back for the long haul. But if he's not, you got to have a guy like Andrew Paul that can do so much out of the backfield. Yes. Dejan Edwards is talented, and he can do a lot of things as well. And I think they're counting on Dejan. But I think they like Andrew because of the versatility he brings out of the backfield. He's looked good in some of the scrimmages. I think this is a situation that's getting better. Branson Robinson doing everything but getting hit, Kirby says. So that is a good situation at the running back room. Getting healthier, moving along, and even said Kendall Milton is gaining steam on the sidelines. So the running back room, some of those wrinkles start to work themselves out. Uh, Cash Jones, obviously another multidimensional player back there. So I think the room will be fine. I don't know that it'll be the forte, you know, maybe like it was in the past with James Cook and Kenny McIntosh and, and obviously what Zamir did between the tackles. We will see that is a position group to keep an eye on. Now, offensive line, we know, maybe the best in the country, but the offensive line had a, um, I don't know if I'd call it a hiccup. I mean, look, Ernest Green had an ankle. He left the scrimmage. He went back in. They pulled him back out. Observation, you know, you're starting projected starting left tackle. This is a guy who's extremely well coached. He's a giant. I met him out there at St. John Bosco a couple of years ago. Impressive young man. Wait until you hear Ernest Green talk and talk football. This is an impressive guy. In fact, if you go on YouTube and search out, you might even be able to find that interview I did with him out at Bosco two years ago. I asked him about a lot of adult stuff, a lot of NIL questions, future questions. 
extremely well-spoken. I think he's going to be fine. Uh, Kirby said Xavier Trust got a little nicked up, but he's fine too. And Blasky, Austin Blasky, who'd had some heat issues, uh, he got some reps out there. So you got three different guys that can play left tackle, but that is a position that Georgia has circled like, all right, got to be good here. Like Kirby said, you do not want to be short of offensive tackles. Amarius Mims got right tackle locked down. This guy's first-round ability, man. I mean, I I think so much of Amarius Mims, I think he's an absolute monster. I think he's going to be a perennial NFL starter. Obviously, you know about Cedric Van Pran. You know, Ratlitch is, is cooking right along, and, and Trust can play inside. Michael Morris, a guy, Dylan Fairchild. I mean, look, they're 8 deep. But that left tackle spot, you don't have Broderick Jones anymore, may have a little dip just because you had a top 10 talent over there. I think you're still going to be solid. Receiver position, now this is important. Let's group receivers and tight end. You know Lawson Lucky has the ankle, and he'll be out anywhere from three to six weeks, right? So you're pretty much primarily down healthy-wise to Delp and Bowers. This makes running double tight end less likely. So I think you're going to see more of the three-wide set that we talked about with that slot receiver. And you hear so much about Dominic Lovick. And now you're hearing about McKee Muse. This is a guy that's impressed. I think you're going to see the walk-on out there. I think he's earned some attention and some touches, not just in the return game, but out of the slot. Got to be deep there. McConkey on the perimeter. Look, Lad's a future NFL guy. I'm going to ask Doring about Lad McConkey when I have him on. And then on the right side, you know, you've got Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, and Ra Ra Thomas. And Ra Ra to me is kind of the unknown. We didn't really get to see him in the spring game. He obviously did a lot at Mississippi State, leading them in catches. But where does he fit in? How far along is he in the George offense? So overall, I feel like this is a really solid offensive unit. Kirby says it's not where it's been the last two years. Well, you had Stetson Bennett there, and he even had JT Daniels there two years ago. You had a deeper and more experienced room. There is a talented room here, but there's not an experienced room. And that's going to come with the month of September. That's why all these people can say whatever they want about the Georgia schedule. But it is an absolute blessing because it's going to give your, your players opportunities to grow. And that's what needs to happen in the Georgia offense. Defensively, they're coming along. Maybe, don't, maybe you don't have that train record defensive tackle like Kirby said. Jalen Carter has moved on. But you know what? Nazir Stackhouse, Warren Brinson, Zion Logue, these are guys that Kirby said will strike you. They will play the position properly. They're going to be effective. They're not going to be dominant like they were, but they're going to be effective and strong and certainly capable. And Georgia will do some other things to create the pass rush, right? Chaz Chambliss is an impressive, determined guy. Brock Bauer says he's the hardest guy on the team to block, right? And I was impressed with Jalen Walker. This is a guy that can play outside or inside. Keep an eye on Jalen Walker. This is a rising star. Kirby talks about him like he used to talk about N'Kobe Dean. That's how I want you to think of Jalen Walker. That's the future of this guy. In the middle, JDJ is back. You heard him come out, make a public apology for the off-field transactions. This is a leader. This is the heartbeat of the team. This is the guy that has everyone's attention. So impressed with JDJ. And then next to him, you know, you've seen Xavier and Sori, uh, you know, get all these reps because Smile Munden's been out. But Kirby says Smile's been running, gaining speed. Um, you know, I think Smile is going to be back in time for the stretch run, certainly if not the start of the year. But how beneficial is it that Sori's gotten these reps? Because you want that depth inside. Okay. Secondary, big battle at cornerback, Nyland Green, uh, Dalen Everett working back there. Multiple guys competing for that spot opposite Kamari Lassiter. Uh, I think corner is going to be great. I think this could be the best secondary that Kirby's had. I know that's a mouthful. But I'm all in on Javon Bullard's switch to safety. I think he's going to be fantastic. I think you saw a preview of that when he was the defensive MVP of both of those CFP games last year. And then Malachi Starks is just one of these freaks. 
I mean, it's Malachi that makes the touchdown saving tackle against Missouri. I remember talking to Ladd McConkey about the biggest plays of last year. He thinks that might have been the biggest play. I thought that was pretty fascinating insight from Ladd McConkey. But Malachi Starks, and don't forget Tyke Smith. Tyke was an All-American at West Virginia. He's going to be lined up in the star. Uh, keep an eye on how they line up there. Janelle Aguero with a grade one hamstring, Kirby said. But this freshman is coming. I expect him to get back. I expect him to be an impact player. So overall, you can pick some spots where maybe George is not as strong as they were a year ago, right? But I can pick some other spots where they're stronger. And then I look at the schedule and I say, you know what? The way Kirby plays these guys and builds depth, this is a team that's going to get better and better and better and better. And when they get to November, they're going to be stronger than they were in September, where most of these teams, when they lose their frontline guys, they don't have the championship depth that Georgia does. And that is the separator, right? When you get to the playoffs, which team has done the best job managing their talent? And that is Kirby Smart. That is what he does better than anyone in the country. He recruits great talent. He develops great talent. But most importantly, he manages that talent. And managing covers a lot of ground. Managing is getting the right guys in the right places. Managing is keeping guys in the locker room happy. Managing is a good high retention rate, not just for your coaching staff, but also for your players. You know, getting guys to come back that extra year. You think about where did all this start? It all started with Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt coming back for their senior year in 2021. And, and that's what Georgia has going right now. Very exciting stuff. I want to go ahead and take a quick halftime break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by SEC Network star Chris Doring, former Florida Gator, for a long time held that uh, all-time touchdowns receiving record and only recently broken. CD hates when I introduce him like that. When we come back, we're going to be right back with Chris Doring. Stay with us. Listen to this message from our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, welcome back to the show. And as promised now, Chris Doring has joined his former Florida Gator. And Chris, I really appreciate you joining the program tonight to talk a little college football. Uh, hope you've had a great summer. I, let's start right out of the gate. When I say Georgia football, 3P, give me some feedback. What goes through your mind? That's, that's my pick. I mean, they're the gold standard of college football right now. So I, I'm uh, really impressed with not only what Kirby Smart has built there, but the ability to sustain uh, the fact that they've been able to keep their roster largely intact the last couple of years when we see so much movement uh, at other schools around the country. The fact that he's, he's got a guy's understanding to have patience and, and the role that they play on a team until their opportunity presents itself and uh, just the, the team atmosphere. When you have so many guys that are that highly recruited players that think they're entitled to playing time early on, for these guys to really get it, to buy in and to understand they're going to come to Georgia and have a chance to win a championship. They're going to have a chance to develop into great players. And they're going to have a chance to get drafted early in the NFL draft. Um, it, it's a it's a pretty good proposition, and uh, Kirby Smart has this thing rolling right now. All right, before we dig in a little bit, I had Peter Burns on last week. Now, you're the other half of this equation. I know people have seen the bets, the LSU-Florida bets. You've dressed yeah. up as Mr. Peanut. You had to mm -hmm. wear an LSU baseball uniform on a, on a flight. Uh, what, what I'm trying to think of other – what what were some Clown. of the other ones? A clown, a clown uh, 
a yodeler. I was a uh, Lion King from or Tiger King, whatever that, that dude's name was from the pandemic year. So it's, it's been a wide range of bets that I've had to uh, pay up on the losing end, man. Now how, now, how do you roll with this, Chris? Because so many people on TV take themselves seriously. And yet you're like, you're good with, at least you seem to be good with this. You seem to be good with this act. But I'm thinking at some point, Chris has got to think at some point, you got to win one of these bets and Pete's got to dress up, right? Well, that that's the thing, man. It's like, it's like I'm watching the roulette wheel come up black every single time. And I'm like, all right, I'm going red again. Sooner or later, it's going to be red. And it just hasn't hit red yet. But I believe that it will. In fact, you know, I saw Coach Napier at SEC uh, Media Days. First thing he said when he saw me was, "Hey, Chris, we gotta we gotta get you off the losing streak here, man. We gotta get you get you a win against that Peter Burns guy." So I'm I'm confident that he's keeping me in the back of his mind uh, when they go to Death Valley this year. Florida's gonna be a, a big underdog, but uh, maybe they can find a way to pull it off. Now you're known for the, all the winning that you did as part of Coach Spurrier's program, and now obviously, uh, you know, you've got the Steve Spurrier Coach of the Year award. Uh, you and I work along with. Um, I'm not going to take the program too off the rails for our Georgia audience, but I always thought it was pretty insightful. You know, when, when we would see Florida show up and it, it just seemed like fun and gun and swag, but you told me that behind the scenes on those Spurrier teams, um, there was a lot of work that, that got put in. Could you kind of capture what went on behind the scenes? Cause all everybody saw was fun and gun on Saturdays. You said there was a lot more to it than that. Well, first and foremost, you know, all the Georgia folks that are listening to this really can be thanked for a lot of the success that we had during the 90s because the first thing that Coach Berger mentioned when he got here was we need to find a way to beat Georgia. Uh, Georgia had uh, dominated that series uh, during the 80s and, and uh, really prevented Florida more times than not when they had a chance to win their first official SEC championship, uh, Georgia would find a way to spoil it. And so winning that game became the impetus of getting to the rest of the, the goals that we had on our list. And so uh, we found a way to, to have a great run. I, w- I went 5-0 and during my five years there. But it really is one of, one of my, the, the favorite you know, college football rivalries in, in the whole landscape of, of football, um, just the, the, the pageantry and, and history and tradition. Such a great, great rivalry. But I'd say in general, the thing that people didn't see w- with, with the time that we spent just routes on air. I mean, quarterbacks and receivers going over and over again, quarterbacks taking a step, throwing to the right place, receivers getting in and out of their break, being at the right depth where they're supposed to be. Um, we made it look really easy. We had a great a compilation of players that executed really well, uh, but there was a lot of work that went into having it look as smoothly as it did on Saturdays. Now, Chris, this is where I want to take this because Coach Spurrier wasn't afraid to play more than one quarterback. And obviously you were a very gifted receiver, went on and played in the NFL, as well as holding that record in the SEC for years and years and years and years. Now that Georgia has Carson, they've named him starter, but Kirby says Vandegrift and Stockton are going to continue to get one reps. He said he believes he can win with all three. How does that shake out behind the scenes when you're a receiver and you're working with multiple quarterbacks? And and how do you see that playing out in, in, in Mike Bobo and Georgia managing that? Yeah, you know, I played in a period of time where Terry Dean and Danny Warfel kind of were going back and forth for a, a couple of years there. And, and a lot of what I did uh, were, were routes that were better suited probably when Danny was in there. Some of the throws that he made a little better, some of the corners and posts that that he threw. Uh, so when, when Danny was in, I was catching uh, a little bit more of the passes. When Terry was in, you know, guys like Jack Jackson were maybe getting a little bit more of the deeper throws. Uh, but there's certainly a rhythm and a rapport that's developed with uh, a starting quarterback and his receivers. That's why it's so important to get a guy named 
uh, during camp to get those those snaps with the ones not only at the receiver position but the the center quarterback exchange that's so important the handoffs from quarterbacks to the running backs um, but I, I do think you know Coach Breyer always said um, he used that John Woodenism the coach's greatest ally is the bench and and competition is what um, you know Kirby Smart has built that program there in Athens on. And, you know, for so many years, coaches treated the quarterback position different than everybody else. But um, Coach Burry was not afraid. If a guy wasn't playing up to the standards of, of his expectation, he put another guy in. And more times than not, it allowed the guy that was uh, on a break to get a, a different view and catch his breath and get back in there. So it's not one of the things that it doomed you. You know, you, you get – he did it to us a receiver. I, I'd gotten benched, you know, throughout my time and got a chance to earn my way back in there. And, Quarterback is no different than Coach Burger's mind. I think Coach Smart would probably feel the same way. Yeah, they both wear visors. They played a little golf together last summer. Fans do not want to think about Steve Spurrier and Kirby Smart being allies, but there is a mutual respect there. I'll say this, Mike. I had a chance to to be with Coach Spurrier this offseason, and he spoke really highly of of Coach Smart, how much he likes uh, Kirby, and that's high praise. You know, uh, Coach Spurrier is one of the the Mount Rushmore of of coaches in the SEC, and, and for him to to speak the way he does about Kirby Smart, certainly it's a great endorsement. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't sprinkle compliments that often. He, he really no. does, and he's got a high, he's got a very high standard and uh, a lot of fun though. Always fun talking with Coach. You know, I saw somebody said, "Oh, Coach Spurrier took a shot at Georgia's schedule." I said, "No, he didn't." They asked him about the schedule, and Florida's playing Utah, and Georgia's playing UT Martin. I mean, what is there to say? That's not taking a shot. That's just pointing out that one team opens against a softer schedule. And I said before you got on. You know, listen, Georgia's played Oregon in the opener. They played Clemson in the opener. They played two, you know, power five teams for years and years and years, Chris. They don't have to apologize because Oklahoma game falls out. But I really believe this schedule is conducive when you look at what Kirby and Georgia are trying to accomplish. I mean, they've reloaded once after losing 15 guys. Now they've lost 10. I guess I would ask you where you think they are. Uh, you know, in proportion to maybe an LSU or an Alabama in the SEC race. You know, I was shocked to see the football power index have both Ohio State and Alabama with better chances of winning a national championship than what Georgia does, especially after you – know, maybe maybe it has something to do with history and nobody repeating since the 30s when Minnesota did it. But um, to me, you know, it, it, he's shown the ability to reload defensively. When they've lost first-round guys, they've had the next guy step right up. Um, certainly he has the, shown the ability to keep them hungry, uh, which they, they stayed hungry last year and went undefeated. Uh, but the thing to me, like Mike, when I look at Alabama, you know, I, I, I dock them because they got a new offensive coordinator. I dock them because they, they got a new quarterback. Um, but when I look at Georgia, it's the same scenario and I don't hit Georgia the same way. And I think that has a lot to do with what Georgia showed me the last couple of years. And I also think it has a lot to do with the pieces surrounding the quarterback. Alabama has been largely disappointing on the offensive line and at the wide receiver position. And last year, Bryce Young was rescuing both of those position groups, whether it was a guy coming free, making him miss and scrambling for a first down or, you know, a, a receiver dropping the ball on third down and Bryce Young patting him on the back, trying to pick him up. Georgia does not have that problem. Georgia's got the best offensive line in the conference and maybe one of the best in the country. And they have a group of receivers like they've never had before. And that obviously is, is in complement to what they have at the tight end position. But, I'm just uh, thrilled to watch this Georgia wide receiving core as a fan of the wide receiver position. What I've heard about, you know, what Dominic Lovett's done since coming over and obviously uh, being a compliment to Lad McConkey, what he did last year. I think this, uh, the pieces around are going to help Carson Beck acclimate a little bit easier than what Alabama will. 
You know, I wanted to ask you about Lad. I mean, because, you know, the, it, the comparison is hard not to make. I mean, you you started out as a walk-on, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm -hmm. When you came yeah. to Gaines. <laughs> you were a – you know, now Lad wasn't a walk-on, but he was a three-star. And I'm trying to think who his other offers were, like Army, FCS schools, uh, you know, redshirted his first year, didn't even – I think the, only, the first game he even dressed for was at Missouri at the end of the year, and he didn't even get in. What have you seen from Lad McConkey and – is that a guy that, that you know you've you've kind of taken a liking to because of the story and the growth and yeah. you know much much like what you did at Florida? I, I love the underdog story. I, I love guys proving people wrong. You know, my my whole high school career and on to the beginning of college was people telling me what I couldn't do. I think there's a lot of people that looked at Lad McConkey and said, "Well, he doesn't look like a typical SEC wide receiver." But it, what a what a compliment though to you know. There's a lot of coaches that coach that, that recruit to the rankings and, and for Kirby Smart and his staff to understand, hey, there's something special about Lad McConkey here. He may not appeal to every coaching staff out there, but what we're looking for at the wide receiver position, what he brings in terms of intangibles is exactly what we want. And um, sometimes I, I can tell you this, Mike, I've been around guys that were five star blue chip can't miss prospects that came in and believed all the headlines and. Uh, never had to, to, to work to, to earn anything and never became what they probably could have. Uh, and then I've been around guys that were the underdogs that have had to, to constantly use that chip on their shoulder to prove people wrong. And I feel like Lad is that guy. And it, it, let's be honest, there were periods of time last year where he wasn't very good. He dropped multiple passes in tough situations. He fumbled a couple times on punt returns. Uh, but that 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 makeup of, hey, right, I'm going to move on to the next play. I'm going to come back and prove people wrong by the end of the year. He was rolling, and uh, Stetson certainly knew who to depend to on in, in third down in crucial situations. Yeah, no doubt. Lad had to play through some injuries. I think he got in his head. You know, you've been there. You've done that. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's kind of a step for a player to learn how to play through and keep that focus. And certainly, Lad made it through that little valley. And and really, when he's on his game, I I, I know this is way too much hype. But in the open field, man, I think he's McCaffrey like. I think in the open field, this guy has got some juice breaks tackles. I, I mean, I think he's an absolute star. A lot of questions that people are asking really aren't about Georgia. Now, Georgia's kind of reached that point where, you know, to, to a degree, we all kind of go, yeah, Kirby's got this, even though they got to replace this and they got to replace this. We say, well, but who's out there? Like, who is out there? When you look at the SEC Eastern Division and you look at Georgia's schedule, and obviously they play at Tennessee November 18th, but Kentucky and Missouri and, and, and Florida, like, how do you see the East lining up and where are some of the threats for the Bulldogs? Yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I think it's Georgia and everybody else. And that's not just in the East. That's in the conference in general. I think there's a, a pretty significant gap between where Georgia – I think LSU probably wins the West, but I think they're still a, a step or two behind where Georgia is. Alabama, to me, is a team that I think wins nine games this year. I'm not buying the hype on them um, winning a, a, uh, a division or even an SEC championship next year. I just have too many questions about those. Uh, positions that I mentioned earlier, the offensive line and receiver, not to mention where, where they seem to be with the quarterback position. Um, but I, I think, you know, for me, the East is like this jumbled up group of, of teams that uh, four or five different teams in there. Last year, it was Tennessee and South Carolina feasting on those other East teams where they could take a step forward. Kentucky took a step back. I think Kentucky is a, a really under-talked about team. Liam Cohen returning to Lexington is a huge get for them. Uh, getting Devin Leary to come over from NC State is, is maybe one of the most underrated, talked about transfer portal acquisitions 
I love their defense. Brad White is an absolute stud on that side of the ball. So uh, I think they get back to playing better on the offensive line. And I think they, they are uh, a team that can take a step forward. I have them finishing second in the East. I think Tennessee takes a little bit of a step back this year. I think South Carolina may take a little bit of a step back as well. Uh, Florida's not quite where they're ready to really assert themselves given the difficult nature of their schedule. And honestly, and you know this better than I do, uh, th- that Missouri team, the Missouri defense, the front seven, um, outside of Georgia's front seven, I think Missouri's front seven may be the second most physical defensive front in the East. And um, you know, I, I'm interested to see how Brady Cook and, and uh, Sam Horn are able to, to kind of you know, take that quarterback position and run with it. They could be a little bit of a dark horse in the East this year. Yeah, we really, we really never know uh, about Missouri. They're always that team. You never, you really just never know what you're going to get. I mean, they can yeah. knock anybody off, and they can obviously lose to anybody. Chris, before I let you go, I want, I want to gain a little bit of insight because I watched the studio show that you do, and I really enjoy that. I think a lot of the people watching, you know, watch the SEC Network and like the compilation show at the end of the night when you guys are sitting around or have. Yeah. What is, what is your day like? On a Saturday, do you fly up the night before? Tell me, tell me how that weekend Man. works for you with the SEC Network. Mikey, I, I fly up there on Thursday, and I don't go home until Monday afternoon. So during the season, I got four nights in Charlotte, three nights in my own bed, and uh, it can certainly become a little challenging, a little fatiguing. But I, I get to do something I love and covering the conference that I know best. I, I get to work with people that I have such a great time doing that. You know, Friday morning, PB and I kind of kick the weekend off with the SEC this morning. Um, and then I do the Friday night preview show with, with Dari. And then Saturday, it's, it's 12 or 13 hours in the studio. We get in there around noon. We have our triple header where we're doing halftime, postgame, pregame, halftime, postgame, pregame, halftime, and then the rap show at the end of the night. So it, it's a marathon. By the time we get to, uh, you know, around uh, 11, 11, 15, when the last game's finishing up, you got to find a way to dig down and get that energy and, and uh, make sure you can, uh, represent well because that that show not only is live when, when you know the end of the night finishes up but it's all night long it's all the next day i think um you know we're the highest rated show on the network and so uh it's a it's kind of a destination show for a lot of sec fans after they get home from the ballpark and that's a uh it's an honor for me to be on there and have that be part of everybody's routine on saturdays during the fall well, I appreciate you squeezing us in. I know you work out. Now, do you, do you get workouts in when you're in show? People don't know this about Chris. If they see him in person, they get it. But he's like a workout warrior, right? Like like Tebow wears it with the shoulders and the muscles. Chris is just that in-shape guy. He goes, I want to be that thin. How often do you get workouts in in, in Charlotte? Is that still part of the regimen yeah. for you? It, it is. It's uh, It's been a little challenging, but I stay in a hotel right next door. There's a yoga studio. So on Fridays after the morning show, I got to do a little hot yoga. Uh, there's also an Orange Theory there that I'll go grab a workout in. Alyssa Lang has been kind enough to to put me under her wing and we, we get a workout in when, when I'm up there and then uh, hitting some, uh, some runs on my own, man. I, I definitely miss my workout crew in Gainesville, uh, but trying to find a way to, to not fall into the, the, the doldrums of traveling, eating bad and, and, uh, and skipping workouts, man. It doesn't just happen. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and thank everyone for joining us tonight on the Eagles on the beach show. And if you got any questions, comments, Throw them on the screen. I love reading the comments. I go back. I answer them. You can hit me on Twitter, at Mike Griffith 32 And, of course, you'll see Chris Doring every Saturday on the SEC Network. You'll see him Friday. Still doing the SN- Sirius XM Radio, too, right? Yeah, I got the Sirius XM Radio year-round. We've got our uh, simulcast on the uh, SEC Network starting that uh, first Friday after the Thursday night opener. And then we get to 
we open the weekend with that show and we close it with the Monday morning simulcast on the SEC network. So it's a uh, lot of programming over that four day span, but it's a, it's a lot of fun, man. Great stuff. Chris Doring. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget Connor Riley on Sunday nights, Connor and coverage, Jeff Santel Wednesday nights before the hedges every day, Brandon Adams, dog nation daily. And now our Thursday night tailgater show with Kaylee Manziel. You want to check that out 7 PM on our dog nations channels. Have a great week, everybody.